by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. It's time right now for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program today is brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By These Flowers and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield. By Broughton's Big Country Hardware, your authorized Cub Cadet dealer in Bridport. By Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse, and Perennial Farm, locally grown just for you, on Main Street in Colchester. By your locally owned Montpelier Agway, East Montpelier Road. By Thomas Farm and Garden on the Barry Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com Our program brought to you as well by Guy's Farm and Yard Stores. Four locations to serve you in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston, and St. Albans. By PNR Lumber, a family-owned lumber mill. They have all the lumber, mulch, and compost you need. PNR Lumber, Route 15 in Wolcott. And by the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. Lines are open for your gardening comments and questions. Our 802 number is 244-1777. And here's the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. Whoops. Hey, all right? We did it again. It's the other microphone. Oh, the other mic? Will that one work? Oh, does that work for I you? I think that works fine. Okay. Excellent. Here we go. <laughs> well, there we go. We just have um, uh, musical mics, that's all. That's always the way it is for some reason. <laughs> and you can hear me fine now. Right, now I can. Yes. Oh, okay, great. Great. So, um, hey, a uh, rainy day, huh, today? Mm-hmm. I uh, think we need the rain. From what Roger says, we're, we're a little on the dry side. My sunflowers are smiling this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Uh, well, uh, let's see. I had a couple days off from work because uh, I've got uh, uh, quite a bit of a crude vacation time. So Tuesday morning, my wife and I made uh, uh, another batch of uh, pesto. Mm. And uh, and we ended up getting another six batches, which is, uh, oh, two pints per batch. So, you know, it was a fair amount. And uh, uh, it's just so incredibly good, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fresh basil and the... And uh, so we... Um, uh, someone mentioned, I, I posted it on Facebook, and they, they wanted uh, the recipe, so... Um, I guess if if people want a recipe, I can I can post it. But you know, it's uh, basically we would take the two two um, cups of uh, uh, basil, and pa- you know, we pack it in a two cup, uh, um, you know, Pyrex uh, measuring, and uh, um, and then it's a half cup of uh, parsley. We get that right from the garden, and then uh, garlic, a ton of garlic. It's uh, almost a whole clove. Per batch, 
Yeah, I mean, not a whole clove, a whole head, you know. Um, I, I grow a, a New York white is what I've always called it, and it's four big, you know, bulbs, and I like those quite a bit, and it's good. So we do uh, one, uh, one whole head. Uh, otherwise, it would be eight cloves of uh, smaller ones. And um, and then it's a cup of oil, and uh, we use a, just an eighth of a teaspoon of citric acid so that it doesn't turn black. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, okay, yeah. And a quarter cup of walnuts, and, um, and it's uh, blended all together. Now, we've started to, in the last couple of years, to go ahead and blanch the the basil, and that does help it to stay green, you know, that bright green color yeah. a little longer in combination with the citric acid. And uh, then we just blend it all up and freeze it, and that's just that simple. And uh, it's de- delicious. Got my mouth watering already. I know. And then uh, this weekend we did uh, we did uh, dilly beans, and um, some of them I I put one little red hot pepper right in the middle. So those are the the red stripe ones are the ones to watch out for. Okay. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so we've had a good harvest that way, and and then uh, we've got uh, the cabbages are starting to round out, so it's time to to make the sauerkraut. We'll make a oh we'll probably make a few gallons of sauerkraut by the time we're done. We use uh, the harsh crocs. You're familiar with the harsh croc? Tell it, tell me. Well, it's um, it's interesting because it's a ceramic uh, croc. And around the top, it's got this big uh, sort of U-shaped groove all the way around. And then the cover is sort of a bell-shaped thing. It fits down in that U. And you put water in there. Mm-hmm. And that seals it. Okay, so rather and – the, and then, you know, if you do it in just a regular crock, you know, you put a stone on it or a piece of, you know, ceramic plate or something like that. And then you take that off and skim off the scum of the top. Well, this way, all you have to do is just make sure there's enough water in that groove. And then uh, as it as it ferments, it'll bubble a little. You'll hear it go bloop every <laughs> once in a while. And we just put that down in the cold cellar, and it's good for months. Wow. Yeah. What do you call the thing again? It's called a harsh, H-A-R-S-C-H, harsh. It's a German uh, word, harsh crock. And uh, I noticed at the co-op, and I, I think over in Burlington, too, they had them on sale for for um, uh, last year. And I think they'll probably do it again this year. But they're, they're easy enough to get online, too. But, you know, you save the shipping if you get it at the local store. And uh, and that's uh, that works really well. The other way we do our sauerkraut is we just simply... Uh, pack pint jars, wide mouth pint jars. We pack them, you know, you, you, you cut up the, um, the sauerkraut on a mandolin and then it's a, um, a teaspoon per pound of, uh, sauerkraut. You mix that in and then let it set for at least a few hours and then as it, as it, it draws all those juices out, you know, and, um, and then we just take the sauerkraut and pack it into a pint jar. And you pack it down, and the brine will come right to the top and cover the top of it. And then we just put on a, a wide mouth uh, cap cover and put it in a tray because it'll, it will, as it ferments, sometimes it'll actually overflow. It creates so much juice there. But once a day, you take and you burp them. You open the, 
<laughs> you open the cover a little bit and you hear it goes and the the uh you know the carbon dioxide will escape and then you close them right up so every every um once a day you just you burp them <laughs> and uh after 3 days they they're pretty well along and then we take those we put those down in the cold cellar and again, those will last for months. Uh, uh, some people prefer to put them in the fridge, and, and that works okay too. That slows it down. It just needs a little bit cooler. Now we didn't. We were thought about doing it last week, but with the last week, I know this seems like a long, long time ago. But we were having temps in the 80s and 90s, and that's not a good time to make sauerkraut because it's too hot. They 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 ferment a little too fast. So. Um, this week will be a better week for it because we're we're back down to the sixties and seventies and um, so that's this is the f- the fun part of of uh, gardening. And how about you? You put anything by or? Well, actually, I'm just eating what comes out of the, the garden, <laughs> tied up with a lot of other things. But oh, yeah, so right. so, uh, but uh, tomatoes and everything are just. You know, every Isn't day. Great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, we planted, um, we planted cucumbers, and and I planted a whole bunch of uh, three different varieties. And for some reason, all the the only ones that came up were the pickling cukes. And so I've got a, about an eight foot trellis of pickling cukes coming up. And then on the other side, where I I planted a whole bunch of. Uh, of you know the burpless varieties mm-hmm. of that only one plant came up i it, i've huh. i've never had such bad uh, germination and the only thing i can think of is just there was something wrong with the seeds because that just never happens to me and uh, but that one plant i have probably gotten eight these beautiful you know 10 14 inch cucumbers off of and they're fantastic huh. they're just uh, absolutely terrific cukes and um, so we make that, uh, uh, you know, the Greek salad with the fresh tomatoes mm-hmm. and the fresh cukes, and we put a little Kalamatra olives in there and the, the feta cheese and, and um, uh, you know, some vin- balsamic vinaigrette and a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of salt, and I'm telling you, uh, you that's a meal. You could, yeah. you know, that with a piece slice of bread and you're all set. Of course, we put a slice of bread with a pesto on it when we were doing that. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah, one thing I'm going to be uh, making this week uh, is um, is gazpacho. I haven't yet. Oh. And, um, you know, we, my wife and I were at the uh, Shore Acres Inn up in the islands. Oh, no kidding. Yesterday. And really? We had, uh, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful restaurant. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. We were just there this week by ourselves. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Tuesday and Wednesday we were there. Well, we, were, we were there last night. <laughs> uh, at, any, at any rate, um, they, uh, we tried their gazpacho, and my wife and I both agreed this tastes very much like the gazpacho that I make. Yeah. You know, so sort of a similar <laughs> recipe. And uh, I haven't I haven't made it yet. So, so uh, how do you make gazpacho? Well, <clears throat> tomatoes. Yeah, tomatoes, uh, a green a green pepper, and a cukes. And the really? Cukes, yeah. And uh, the important thing is to uh, when you when you put the bread in, uh-huh. is that uh, you know you can use dry bread, but then moisten it. Yeah, okay. and kind of you know mold it around into like a softball, and yeah. then chop it up and put that wet uh, in the blender with it, and that's how we put the we uh, so we blend it with the with the dry bread. Uh, no in it. kidding! Yeah. And oh it, my gosh! Yeah. And um, really, 
uh, no tricky spices or or, or anything. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a quarter cup of uh, of uh, for a blender full, a quarter cup of olive oil. Uh huh. And sure. then uh, I think it's a half cup. I have to go check my recipe, and I'll identify my recipe in a minute. I think it's a half a cup of uh, red wine vinegar. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, a little oil, a little vinegar, and and uh, anything like basil or parsley or anything like that? No, not no? really. Not no? really. I, you know, if it, if, if it were around, if I just happened to be walking past where the parsley is, <laughs> I might pick some up. But, uh, you know, basically it's a, it's a, it's a nice – you have to have a really nice cup, of either small or one huge green pepper. Oh yeah, to, to okay. Put in there. All right. And then the 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 cukes I used to uh, I used to like thumb out the seeds. Yeah, uh, right. You know, but yeah. I don't do that anymore. I, I let them go in there and get chopped up. It gives a little bit of a grit to it. Oh yeah, like. sure. At any rate, I have no idea what the uh, I have no idea what the Shore Acres Inn recipe happens to be. It was Dan Rainville has been the uh-huh. chef there for right. like thirty years. And oh yeah, he, he's, everything that comes out of his kitchen is, is marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, it was just the, the, the subtlety of the flavor was what I just happened, happened to turn out by following my recipe, which is on an old Xeroxed uh, piece of paper that is so wrinkled, it's like a tissue. It, it feels like a tissue paper. I should make a, I should make another copy of it just yes, so it doesn't should. disintegrate. Yeah. But it said. Uh, it, Louis de Soto's gazpacho. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Louis de Soto's. Well, it's L- got to be good. L U I S, and then de Soto <laughs> like the car. Yeah, right. Gazpacho. And I have no idea who Louis de Soto was, <laughs> whether he drove a de Soto or not. But it, it was, someone had taken taken a page out of a book and mm-hmm. and copied it and given it to me. And I swear, it, fifty years ago. That's how, that's no how far kidding. back. Oh it was. my gosh. Yeah, well, I, it, I'm I I have to have a copy of this. Joel. And very easy. Yeah. I mean, you just grab the stuff out of the garden. There's no, you know, uh, pre- oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, and the, tr- the trick is a, a small clove of fresh garlic. Oh. Okay. No sauteing, no uh, okay. getting the favor out. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, you know, once you, a little bit just of garlic a little bit goes of garlic. a long way, mm-hmm. you know, with the oil and the red wine vinegar. Sure. You don't want something else to come and overpower Yeah, well, particularly where it's raw, yeah. you know, then it can be too hot if you put too much in. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, if if your garlic is the normal, you know, a supermarket size, just mm-hmm. one, of, one of those cloves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you I, need. I usually cut mine in half and figure that's a clove mm-hmm. because mine are just they're just huge. Yeah, that's what I was insinuating. Clove. I think yeah. one of your big clothes would be a, yeah. a yeah. little over. Uh, I'm for sure a blender. would. <laughs> I have got to try that. I've got to try that. I'm going to go online and see if there's any reference to Louis de Soto's. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a page that came out of somewhere 50 years ago. And I find out who Louis DeSoto was, probably, oh my probably a serial killer. Or well, yeah, <laughs> well, let's hope not. Let's just hope he was a famous <laughs> chef from back then. But uh, that's interesting because uh, it's, it's not cooked at all, and it, so it's a lot like, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that Greek salad that we make. Because sometimes we don't put the feta cheese or the calamatra olives. We just do the the cuke and the and the um, uh, tomatoes. And occasionally I'll put a little red onion in it. And, but my wife's not not crazy about the you know raw onion. So there was a there was a restaurant, or maybe it was a coffee house, but it mm-hmm. had to have, had to have been a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And in downtown Burlington, I must have walked past it 
500 times, 1,000 times, mm-hmm. was called the Red Onion. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know the place? Uh, uh, I do remember. It never da- dawned on me that it said Red Onion. I thought it was Redunion. Oh, yeah, Redunion, of course. Yeah, then I'm wondering, what the hell does Redunion mean? I'm I'm kind of a, a stickler for words. There's a radio show I listen to called Away With Words. And, you know, I know. And I get yeah, the, yeah. the definition of a word a Absolutely, day on the computer. Yeah. No, no. And anyway, it was one day, one day that someone said, hey, let's go into the Red Onion and, <laughs> and get a bagel. And I'm... Oh, that's the <laughs> the light bulb came on. I huh? know, I know. It's amazing how the human mind works, or in my well, case, how it doesn't work most of the time. So um, anyway, you, online, no reference to Louis DeSoto. No, no, no reference. Okay, no. well, that's all right. As long as we have his his yeah, recipe, do. then we're we're good with Louis. Yeah. <laughs> he's got, he's will claim. In fact, his. in fact, I'll make it a project. I will not only uh, you know locate it and Xerox it for myself, but I'll put it on the. I'll figure out a way of putting it on a. On the DEV, uh, just give it to uh, the, you know. Uh, give it to our tech guy. Yeah, give it to the tech Dylan. guy. Yeah, yeah. Dylan will do. We'll put it on for you. He's made the offer, so I know he'll do it. And, and so, the um, uh, when when my wife and I came came back from the islands. <laughs> oh, you were there Tuesday. That would have been funny. If yeah, we it would. And, and uh, we, of course, uh, I have never been to the Alberg Dunes. Have you ever been up there? No, I used to go to the Alberg. Uh, Auction house in days yeah. gone by. That'll be a whole well, chapter in whatever whatever book I eventually write. That was quite the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was a livestock auction, no, or no, 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 it was just an antique auction. Oh, they, okay. They used to have. I'll just give one quick story. In the middle of the winter, yeah, the place they were doing auctions every week. Yeah, and the actual old the original building burned down, so yeah. it's not there anymore. But I think they resumed it, and then it's no longer going on. But uh-huh. at any rate. At any rate, it was in the middle of the winter. It was freezing cold, and he had a he had a dining room set with like four chairs around it. Yeah, and he yeah. said, "Okay, do we have any bid?" And nobody bid anything. He said, mm-hmm. "Okay, uh, we'll sell it for ten dollars. Anybody bid? Anybody bid? You know, who could resist that? And nobody, nobody bid. He took one of the chairs, smashed it, threw it in the wood stove. The lady <laughs> had raised her hand. She goes, "You're too late unless you want three chairs." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> we have a we have a caller on the line. Those are the old days. Yeah, so that, that was really. I mean, I, I swear. That's the way it was back in the 60s or early 70s. At any rate, uh, you're first on In the Garden, your first name in town. Wild Bill in South Woodbury. Hey, Wild Bill. <laughs> well, now it's it, well, I, I think all the, my garden, well, I didn't have much of a garden anyway. But, yeah. uh, yes, it was the woodchuck that ate all my uh, my collard greens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, that, uh, that's... Uh, that's a, a feast for them. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm even going to have one next year. But anyway, on the red onion thing, I mm-hmm. just it, it struck my mind, and when Joel was going on about how you know, <laughs> oh, remember things from years ago. Yeah. Out in Southampton, that's where I grew up in Sag Harbor. Yeah. Uh, they used to be. It was a potato barn, and I guess they converted it into a nightclub. Oh, back in the '60s, and it was called the Red Onion. <laughs> and it had the fuselage of a plane bolted to the roof of it. It was, it was right off the highway. Oh man! Like the Red Baron, huh? <laughs> I guess. And I, yes, the, the plane was. I, I think I'm one of the only people that remember that anymore, except for some old fellows down there. Wow! Isn't that isn't that something? We used to go to Sag Harbor to uh, do a, to, for clamming back. 
back when I was a teenager, I used to hop into the car with people and we'd go and and uh, and get clams down in Sag Harbor. Well, I my I could walk down to Long Beach. It was only like well, a New York City block, two blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I used to go there. You could dig them up with your feet. Yep. Oh, boy. Yep, exactly. Boy. Go down with an inner tube and a basket and dig them up, grab them up, throw them <laughs> in the basket, and have a good, you know, little snack in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we did. That's exactly what we did. We'd come back to, this is when I was staying at my grandparents in Jersey, and uh, we'd come back with, with buckets of them. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's the good life right now, there. Of course, these days with yeah. pollution, they probably glow in the dark. I don't know, you know. <laughs> No, 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 no. They're still pretty darn good down there. Oh, excellent. <laughs> That's good news. Yeah, good. But you got to have a permit now to get out. Yeah, right, right, right. Everything has a permit. Well, no, I, you know, I just wanted to check in and uh, uh, your red onion comment. Just poke <laughs> that thing in my IBM Univac. Well, <laughs> thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. I'm going to have to ask some of my old clamming friends if they remember. I was just a teenager, a young teen, like 13, 14 at the time, so I don't remember the place, but... Uh, a lot of my friends were uh, were Sag Harbor regulars, so <laughs> is that right? <laughs> see if we can get see if I can uh, rekindle a memory there. Hey, <laughs> yeah. thanks for calling. Appreciate it. See you later. Bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs> I should mention that the lines are open at two four four one seven seven seven. Yep. And yeah. uh, the, you one, still have the toll one, free. Yeah. Eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five, and that's the toll free mm-hmm. number from anywhere. And uh, so we um, uh, we're looking at our tomatoes now, and we um, I'll start to start to make some sauces. And I, I think at this point, uh, you know, I'm picking them when they're just about dead ripe, bringing them in and letting them uh, finish ripening inside because uh, they fall off, and then the chipmunks uh, like to s- nibble on them or scoop them up. So, so I try to get there before the chipmunks do, and and um, pick up. Uh, and and so I have a variety. I have that Jetstar, the one that uh, Ed Smith liked a lot, and then I've got these small Roma tomatoes. They're uh, Nova from. Uh, high mowing and they're about oh two you know one and a half two inches long and oval shape and they're they're nice and meaty and they've got a wonderful flavor so uh at this point i'm going to just collect them and freeze them right in a just a plastic bag no no special treatment or anything and then when i get enough when i get a couple of gallons i'll uh I'll uh, thaw them out, and the nice thing about the freezing them is that the skins slip right off. You just slip off the skins. We use a blender anyway, uh, one of those uh, Vitamixes, and so you could leave the, the skins right on. And if you had enough of a harvest uh, all at once, you wouldn't have to do the freezing. But it puts off some of the, the work to when, you know, to a weekend or when you have time and and uh, I kind of like that. So we, we're going to make a um, um, a tomato sauce, you know, for uh, for spaghetti, a spaghetti sauce. And then um, if we have enough, we'll go ahead and make some salsa. Um, and uh, oh, it would be nice. It would be nice to get, uh, you know, maybe three or four batches of tomato sauce because that's about what we use over the course of a year. Then that that's kind of what I'm thinking about, well, what would get us through. We'll use a, a pretty much of a part of, 
what quart jar a week is what you could figure. We have we have another caller. Oh yeah, uh, sure. On the line, and I was off the air with someone, and we got some interesting information on gazpacho. But first, let's oh, go good. to what well, your first name in town, please. Uh, Carol, I'm from Middlebury, and I might have missed maybe somebody already called in this, but the Louis DeSoto's gazpacho. Yes. yes. That is from the Soup Bowl, Bakery Lane Soup Bowl cookbook. Yeah, we just had Linda in Brookfield oh, give us a call <laughs> and told me off air on that, so it wasn't the, on air. But say that a little slower. The 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 Bakeland. No, it's a Bakery Lane. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, there used to be a restaurant in Middlebury. Yeah. It was a Marge Mitchell and Joan Sedgwick. I think they moved out west, but they put out two cookbooks, and everything in it has always worked. It's been around here forever, and I've all, and I made the, the gazpacho twice this summer, oh. and it's my favorite because it's not, it's not really watery, and they nope. put a little bread in there. That's right. Yeah. Well, when you say a little bread, uh, well, I guess I, I need the recipe because I, I'm trying to imagine the bread in there. You can titrate it. Uh-huh. Yeah, get it to the consistency that you want. Yeah, uh, yeah it, they, they, they uh, call for one quarter of a pound day-old French bread, and you cube it, and you put it in cold water, squeeze it all out, and you uh, add it You add it to everything else that you've blended. Oh, man. And it, it just it, some gazpacho is really watery. Mm-hmm. This isn't overly thick either. It's just really nice. So, yep. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. so um, if you can ever get a hold of this cookbook again. It's out of print. Yeah, well, that's it. That uh, obviously, I went. I went to Middlebury College. Oh, yeah. Back back then, all oh. you needed was a pulse to get in. I mean, yeah, <laughs> for, and and you remember them. They uh, they they were in charge. Yeah. <laughs> at uh, any rate, that's obviously where I got this Xerox page. I was probably too cheap to buy the whole book, which I <laughs> oh, now no. thoroughly regret. You know, but, well, well, you were a student yeah, on a right. student budget. We, we forgive you. <laughs> I, I I I could mail you the recipe, but I don't know where. No, I. I have, I have, that's the one thing I have is the, the, the recipe, but I do remember there are two cookbooks. Yep. And, uh, uh, Linda earlier called and, and mentioned some of the text. Um, it, it said that Louis, Louis de Soto was a Spanish gentleman and a oh. wonderful cook. <laughs> wow, well, they, they, they knew how to pick the, the, um, the women were sharp and, and desserts and salads in this book. Oh, it was, yeah. As I, as I, as I, as I remember from the, uh, from the uh, soup bowl restaurant. Oh my goodness. Does that bring back, does that well, bring funny. back memory? So, so. Well, we, we, we were on the road when, when, when you were talking about it and we just pulled in home. So <laughs> <laughs> we want, we wanted no. to let you know. We still have a lot of tomatoes out there. I was going to ask, do you have enough tomatoes and cukes to, to make, uh, uh more gazpacho? Um, well, there, there's a farmer's market here in, in the food co-op in oh, Middlebury, oh, so yeah. I, I don't raise them. We have too many chipmunks. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I like chipmunks, so. Oh, there I you do, go. I do, too. I have no problem. Kindred, kindred spirit. <laughs> Alvin. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It almost looks like I it, it, my backyard, I kid you not, looks like a chipmunk sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> ours does, too. <laughs> ours um, does, too, but it's not by design. I know. <laughs> oh, well, we have a lot of holes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a... a, a a set of uh, marble stairs going up the, oh. from from my lower uh, garden to the upper garden. So it's about um, yeah. six, seven steps. It's about eight feet it covers, and um, it's made out of that marble that comes mm-hmm. from uh, from Barry. You know, they oh, yeah. they oh, make beautiful. the uh, tombstones out of them, and and but there's always the extra. So I got a whole load of them, and and two of my friends came and. And uh, helped us out, and, and that thing has been great, except for there's about a one-inch, two-inch 
uh, crack in between each one, and the chipmunks absolutely love it. It's well, perfect. It's like a stone wall for them. Well, they'll, they'll be hibernating soon, so people don't have to worry about them who don't want them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. <laughs> well, I'm glad you do. They're, they're cute little guys, and they came up real easily, too. They. And so thank God for the farmer's market, right? Oh, yeah, well, and we buy peanuts at Costco for them. So. <laughs> oh, no! You <laughs> feed them? Oh, no! <laughs> We don't have pets now, so these are pets. So. <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> and it's fine. We, we have a big yard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm on your side. I, I, I feed the squirrels, too. Oh, yeah, we got the squirrels, red I think, squirrels, I only, all the birds. Yeah, I put, I put the peanuts, and these are, uh, you know, shelled, but yep. un, un, unbaked, uh, you know, un, unroasted mm, raw peanuts. Right. Yeah. Raw peanuts, and I just put them along the windowsill, so, oh. they, so, they so they have to come up onto the windowsill. But I don't put them until they come up first and knock on the glass. <laughs> and I, I, you wouldn't believe it, is that, there, that during doing my morning chores, there's a steady stream of, um, of squirrels that come up, jump on the windowsill, oh bang God. on the glass, and I open the window and then pour a little, you know, along oh the edge there. Oh, my gosh. And I do that about 20 times every morning. Are they gray or red squirrels? Oh, they're gray ones, yeah. Not the gray ones, so yeah. They're red ones, ones are kind of nasty. I well, remember. they're kind of like they're on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tr- but, trouble is with the red ones, the hawks like them. Oh, I, yeah. That happened to us this week. I was looking out the window and a hawk came down and killed it. No and, kidding. And, yeah. For and, some uh, reason, they oh don't they gosh. don't go after the chipmunks, or at least not that I've seen no. all that much, or, or nor the the gray squirrels, which would probably give them a good battle. Yeah, yeah I was going to say yeah. Uh, yeah, but but, uh, but the uh, the red squirrels uh, they're out there, very very bold and very brave, and they stand out in the open, and the hawks come and get them. No, yeah, but, but but they're so quick, the red squirrels. You wouldn't think they would be able to get yeah. them, but they. But they do. Well, you know, the hucks are going 100 miles an hour down, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to beat well, that. It was a bad day when yeah. I saw it anyway. But, uh, I never liked well, that. <laughs> but, but thank you for your show. I'm going to monopolize it. <laughs> well, Carol. appreciate you calling. Yeah, thanks thanks, thanks for the call. Oh, okay. So the, the Bakery Lane Cookbook is where you, where you got your... Uh... Yeah, the yeah, Middlebury uh, Soup Bowl. Uh, cookbook uh, from on uh, the Bakery Lane, mm-hmm. and in fact, Bakery Lane was just a tiny little street off the main drag, and not surprisingly, halfway down was a bakery. <laughs> that, and, that would make sense. And yeah. uh, the uh, owner of the bakery personally would deliver bread to my fraternity. Now, I was steward at the fraternity. No kidding. Yeah, I was, and the and the weekend chef at the fraternity. And uh, the baker's name was Mister Baker. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I was weak. I think I mentioned this, but they, 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 my fraternity brothers renamed all the, all all the things that I made. You mm-hmm. know, like a, a shepherd pie would be. They call it German shepherd pie, <laughs> and uh, my breaded veal cutlets were dreaded veal cutlets. <laughs> my chicken cacciatore was chicken cacciatome. <laughs> this is this is what brilliant college minds. <laughs> hey, you know they day. like to play with words. Yeah. I, uh, who can blame them, right? <laughs> okay. So anyway, we've uh, solved the mystery thanks to Linda in Brookfield and Carol, who just called. Middlebury, uh, that's right. Right, of Louis DeSoto's Gaspacho. Yes. Now I have to call the Vermont auto enthusiast and find out about Louis Gaspacho's DeSoto, where that might be these days. And we are in the garden, or at least the program is in the garden. We might, I don't know if we'll be in the garden this afternoon, the forecast uh, is talking about. 
40, 60 percent chance of showers late afternoon, possible thunderstorms. So we mm. keep an eye on, mm. and we keep an eye on that. Anyway, Joan Sedgwick and March Mitchell. Boy, brings back memories. Bakery Lane Soup Bowl. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bakery oh, Lane Soup our, Bowl. Thank our listeners. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, um, so the other thing that uh, we've been making, and I, I'm sorry, I meant to bring some in for you, but the uh, the refrigerator pickles. We've, we've made uh, a couple of gallons now. And that's the the nice thing about having a whole bunch of uh, cucumber. Um, those, the uh, you know the um, pickling cucumbers mm-hmm. is there. There's a lot of those around to to make the fill up a gallon jar. And we you know it's a mixture. It's about half and half water to to uh, vinegar, and then we put dill and a little bit of mustard seed in there. Uh, we don't use a pickling spice, but we'll use, uh, uh, you know, several cloves uh, of garlic. And then uh, we usually top it off with a crust of bread, okay, like a rye bread right at the top, and then put a, a cheesecloth on top of that. And we put it out in the sun during the day for, for two days, you know, bring it in at night, put it out in the sun. And then after that, they go right in the fridge. Uh, my wife usually takes that bread right off, and and then they uh, we put a cap on them and put them right in the fridge, and they're good for oh weeks. You can you can eat pickles out of those, and they're great because they're crisp. Uh, that's the thing I like so much about them, mm. and they are easy to eat. That's for sure. And then uh, we'll probably go ahead and we may use a harsh crock again for the pickles. They work real well in, in the in the pickles in that you have to cover with a brine salt brine but um oh you know it's great to have them and uh what else are we the tomatoes the cucumbers uh the dilly beans um <clears throat> we're digging up the potatoes i was going to do it this weekend but it's too wet i'm not going to bother with that and uh, my uh, son's girlfriend uh, braided all of our onions, and she made it. It's a, just a beautiful, uh, you know, string of onions, and it's probably about, oh, two feet long. And uh, we're just hanging on the wall in the kitchen, and and that's that's it's very decorative, and it's a great way to storm. You know, they're dry, and, and uh, uh, it's dark enough in there. There's no sunlight uh, yeah. on that wall. My, my brother would uh, braid the garlic. Yeah, as, as, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a soft neck garlic to yep. do that, yep. and I generally grow the um, uh, the hard necks. And I tried a soft neck this year, and uh, not one of them came up. Oh. I, I <laughs> I've never had that happen. Um, now it's been uh, so I was a little hesitant to try, but I think I'll try again. This was a, a soft neck garlic they said you could plant in the spring, so I wanted to try it. Uh, this this year, uh, this fall, I'll, um, I'll plant a, a soft neck yeah. that I buy. But uh, that's one of the things I wanted to remind everybody, and I, I reminded last last week too, is that if you don't have your garlic to plant, now is the time to put your order in, because uh, by the time uh, September comes, uh, you know, mid September, most of the people are are sold out. So if you're planning on buying some, do it now and don't hesitate, because that's a uh, uh, it goes pretty quick once uh, once the season begins, mm-hmm. and even though it's a little early to plant, you don't want to wait until the end of you want to wait until the end of October here. Um, 
it's still the the right time to buy it yeah. to get it. Make sure you secure it, and it's best to use uh, a source that's a you know certified disease free. You can get garlic from the farmer's market and and but you do run the risk of maybe it carrying a disease into your plant so into your garden so you do want to be careful with that um the uh the uh, things that you can plant right now um of course are are all your all your greens uh, the lettuces all kinds of lettuces you can do both your head lettuce and your bib lettuce now it's it's going to cool off enough to to uh, to allow them to grow and be hardy lots of radishes all every kind of radish you can find uh, plant that unfortunately uh, most of our our um, garden centers are have put their seeds away so hopefully you have some seeds left. Um, otherwise, you'll have to buy them online. But uh, So the lettuces, the mescaline mix, uh, things like uh, the mustards, arugula, uh, tatsoi, um, any kind of the Chinese greens that, that people like, you know, the frilly ones and all, all of them, a uh, great time to plant. And they'll take us a, a, a light frost, so they'll be good right in through October. Um, that gives you plenty of time to get a nice harvest uh, and and extend your season in the garden, eating right out of the garden, you know, the, the garden grocery store. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, well, it's too late to plant anything like beans, but last week, no, the week before, I planted more carrots and more beets. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to get a nice crop by the end of October and, and put those in cold storage. But, boy, this year we had some beautiful carrots. I mean, they were probably the best carrots I've ever grown, and they were a good 8, 10 mm. inches long and, you know, inch and a half around, and they were just beauties. And, and those are in your raised beds as well. Those are in the raised yeah. beds, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I only planted a few, but uh, for the first time they weren't stunted or making left turns. And, you know, <laughs> it's amazing what they do in the clay soil out. out oh, oh the, absolutely, uh, you know. yeah. I've I've seen that. when a, Now, my, uh, my youngest son, Jake, uh, uh, redid all my beds uh, uh, last year, and he made them all eight inches deep and then dug down. So I had plenty of depth, and they, they really responded well. And then the in my upper garden, the upper east side, as I call it, um, all of those beds have been double dug down two feet, so the carrots really stretch out. They, you know, they stretch their legs and go deep, and so you get some really nice carrots there. And... Uh, so we're we're uh, oh <laughs> I I was telling uh, my boss about he's Italian and he was telling me about his grandparents and uh, so I said well I've got an Italian uh, zucchini that's a you know trombosino uh, ramp ramp oh, I forget what it is now but it's trombone zucchini oh yeah love those and literally Joel it was it was three feet long <laughs> it was three feet long but it was still only about an inch and a half around so it was uh, it was you know not overgrown it was but it was a uh, you probably get 10 meals out of that <laughs> one zucchini 
And uh, that's uh, one of the nice features about the uh, trombone zucchini. And the other, the reason I first started growing it is that it grows on a trellis really, really well. Mm-hmm. It loves a trellis. And so if, you, if you're if you like me and you like to use a trellis for as much as you possibly can, those uh, trombone zucchinis are the real ticket for zucchini. And they, they've got a great zucchini flavor and, you know, they're, they, they, they grow so long and still only the neck is very very narrow and there's no seeds in that and so it's a it's great meat but i i had fun because i put this thing on my boss's boss's desk when he came in the morning he was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um and and that makes uh uh, uh, well, it was a few years ago. We quite a few years ago, probably ten, fifteen years ago. We we had those, you know, the baseball bat zucchinis, the one they say you, you've, you know, right. the reason you lock your doors in Vermont in the summer times is, is so you don't end up with a baseball bat sized zucchini in your front seat. Well, anyway, we we decided to try something with those, and we um, we parboiled them and uh, put them in the blender and made a, a soup stock, a base, you know, and it's a creamy soup sta- uh, a base and it really works well you can use it for just about any kind of soup you want to make and um, that that uh, that ended the uh, too much zucchini myth that we we used to have and now there's no such thing as too much zucchini now <laughs> whatever comes we'll take you know <laughs> there's so many ways to prepare it you know and, oh yeah and simple ways too you know? yeah yep well, um, I started using an air fryer. Didn't I mention that to you before? Yeah. yeah right. And and we we chop up the zucchini in about oh, you know, a quarter three eighths inch slices. You know, put that in the air fryer, and it's just as good as as frying it in the uh, in a um, you know a cast iron pan. It's really delicious. And then sometimes my wife just slices it up and puts it in the oven, and then sprinkles some uh, Parmesan cheese on top. So that's that's a good where way. Are, I, I haven't planted any this year, but where are you with your melons? Are you to the point where something's ripe? No, no. I, I my melons uh, my melons are, look more like grapefruits. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I haven't had good luck with melons yet. So yeah, that's too bad. I envy anybody who can get a melon, and uh, and if if you if you can grow a melon. If anyone out there, definitely call in and let me know how you do it because it, I'd a, like to I, know. I kind of gave gave up the couple that <laughs> couple that looked good yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, it, it, and suddenly there were all these chew marks <laughs> on, on them, and you know they they immediately rotted. They yeah, broke, right. breaking this the skin with it. So yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, competing with the uh, wildlife out there was too much for it. No, but you mentioned how. Uh, how you uh, dry uh, like a cantaloupe? Oh, in absolutely! The, in, in the, yeah. uh, well, and I just love the way the the, the how the kitchen smells. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely! Actually, it's worth it just for that. I, I bought a couple of big supermarket uh, melons that oh. I'm going to dry this weekend, <laughs> oh, but I'm also going to make gazpacho. You know, I, I definitely have to do that. We have a, another caller on the line. Your first name in town? Uh, John from Hyde Park. Hey, John. Hey. I got uh, looking for a little advice on spinach. Yeah. I'm thinking of planting some now and yep. I would like to uh perfect time perfect timing. And you'll get a nice crop and uh what I I have to say is that if you keep planting 
uh, plant all the way into October when it's cold, and they won't sprout, but in the spring they will sprout. And uh, that's one of the, the best crops of spinach you can ever have. Matter of fact, I'll frequently fill up uh, any empty bed that I have. You know, I, of course, I have uh, the garlic planted in, in uh, three or four beds. And um, usually I'll put a, a straw on as a mulch, but on any bed that's open and I feel... Um, uh, I have enough seeds for. I just plant all the spinach that's left over from from the uh, spring, and it's well worth it. Um, if I want to winter it, uh, I should yeah. plant it like late September. Or that's right. Yeah, you don't actually want it to start to grow. Uh, you want it to actually just uh, stay dormant. So it's uh, you want it to be nice and nice and cold. If we have a hot October, if it's really warm, then even put it off until towards the, the last few weeks of October. So that once uh, November comes and everything freezes up hard, then they'll just sit there dormant until. Uh, and it, it's just so amazing to see. Um, I have one photograph of a snow, a snow covered bed, a four by four bed, and then, and I, I plant them, you know, nine per square, so it's three rows of three in a square foot. And this whole bed, the whole 16 squares, you could just see one plant coming up every, every three inches and, and every four inches. And it just makes a, a, it's a great way to start the spring when you see those little guys coming up and the, they give you a wonderful harvest. So, uh, so yes, definitely plant them now and, uh, plant some lettuce and some radish while you're at it. And if you like arugula or mustard, good time to plant those. They'll, they will actually enjoy this cooler weather and, and give you a really nice crop. I'm wondering, uh, I have some, uh, window frames up over in my garage. Would yep. help put that over the raised bed? Or? Uh, not right now. You, you definitely, no, you, you don't need a, a cold frame at all for, for uh, for things like spinach right now. Now, if you wanted to carry those into uh, November and um, or even December, then sure, use a use a cold frame. Now, I just have to warn you: a cold frame is is uh, is something that you have to attend to, sort of like a greenhouse, because uh, one hot day will burn everything in that cold yeah. frame. So you need to be able to. Uh, pop it open in when the sun comes out and it's you know it'll be 90 degrees inside there even though it's only 40 or 50 outside and uh how about a little straw around it for the winter oh sure you can um when you plant that last uh, last planting of um of uh, your spinach seeds, you don't need to uh put straw on it i've done it both ways and um for the most part, the stuff without the straw comes up just as reliably as as okay. the stuff with it. But you have to remember, if you're going to put straw on it in the spring, when when the, everything starts to warm up a little bit, you do want to either part it for your rows so that the the sun hits the the seeds and warms the soil, or just pull it off altogether so that it doesn't um, you know so the soil warms up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, that's different. Do you plant any garlic? If if you plant yeah. garlic, you can put the straw on. The garlic will come right up through it. Yeah. Yeah. We do that with our garlic. You so. do. Yeah. I'm sure about spinach. 
Yeah, well, the spinach will. Um, it's just not quite as uh, fast-growing, and it doesn't have a spear. So um, that's the only problem with the, the straw for the spinach, is it, it may not make it up through... Um, and uh, you yeah. want the want that that uh, the ground to warm up a little bit too. So, okay, but, yeah, for sure, John, go for it. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks for the call. Yep. Great, and uh, thank you very much. And we also have on the line Andy from Plainfield is joining us. Hey, Andy. Hi, Peter. How are you today? Good. What's up? I have another solution to the baseball bat zucchini. <laughs> All right, great. Let's hear so it. What I do is I'll get out the grill and uh-huh. I will cut up the zucchini into large chunks and I'll smoke it over charcoal. Oh, and you can there use you, you can put in wood chips or you can just use the charcoal. Sure. And yeah. Smoke it or grill it until it softens up. Yeah. And then I make a baba ganoush out of it. Oh. And for oh. those who don't know, baba ganoush is, is a Middle Eastern dish that's usually yeah. based on eggplant. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll substitute the zucchini for the eggplant. Did, and I've, I think I've heard that referred to as mama ganoush. Yeah, we call it we call it zook ganoush. <laughs> zook ganoush. <laughs> but, and then basically you throw it in a blender and it's six ingredients, at least the way we do it, it's six ingredients, which is the smoked zucchini, yeah. lemon, lemon, salt. Um, tahini, which is sesame paste, uh-huh. garlic, and olive oil. Ooh, man, it sounds great. It's good, and you blend it, and it's got a nice smoky flavor, and it um, it lasts in the fridge for quite a while because the base is smoked, so it serves as something of a preservative. Zucchinoush. Zucchinoush, yeah. So, and it, any size baseball bat zucchini will work. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point where when the neighbors who have oversized summer squash or zucchini, I stopped growing them because people give them to me. Obviously, right? but, yeah, when, when they get out of hand, they bring them to me. And Isn't that I great? Uh, them, yeah. Well, so, well, try the soup stock if you if you get overwhelmed with too much ganoush. Yeah. <laughs> then well, try try the uh, the soup stock. It works yeah, really well. I believe you. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, there, it's not it's not bad food. It's good food. It's, oh, absolutely. It still has a life if you know what to do with it. Isn't it wonderful, though, you know, that just uh, so many ways to to make uh, the garden your grocery store. And yeah, and, well, uh, and so many times it's just so much better than you can buy. And I still lock my doors in the car. So <laughs> the There's my, only so much yeah, ganoush you can are, make, right? Yeah, my neighbors are hearing this. I really don't want any more. <laughs> Thank you very much. Though. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Take care, Andy. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Andy. Okay, we got a couple calls on the line. Let's first <laughs> okay. go to our, our buddy Forbes. Uh, knee-deep in blueberries, if I, as far as I know. <laughs> hey, Forbes, how are you doing? Uh, good. I'm still up to my ears in blueberries. Oh, man, what a problem. That sounds yeah, pretty good to me. Variety, thank goodness. <laughs> Everybody's out, and I'm in. <laughs> That's a way to go. What, right. what? I'm putting a, a garden to bed or preparing maybe a piece for next year's garden. What's the best cover crop uh, that takes... The least amount out and puts the most back in. Well, um, of course, my favorite cover crop is is uh, is the buckwheat, and simply because it dies when you know when the frost comes. And so uh, I've used rye over the years, but the rye grass um, can be really hard to turn over. It makes such a solid. You know, clump, and uh, so I, I've shied away from that. My favorite, uh, 
um, is really the uh, the crimson clover because that dies back too. But as it dies back, you know, it leaves sort of a, a straw. And the only problem with the crimson clover is that it does seed. And I found that out this year because we let it all just, uh, you know, drop down and, and compost right in place. And then as I pulled it off and put it in the compost bin, th- there was just a mass of clover seeds in, in my bed. So that wasn't a great idea. I should have cut it down before it, it headed, uh, before it's, the seeds ripened. But I, I like uh, those two things because they do, um, they do die back on their own with the frost. Oh, that's good. So, buckwheat. Uh, have you ever tried Japanese millet? I haven't tried it. I've read about it, and Johnny's has it, uh, and and they they seem to seem to be big on it. Um, I know high mowing uses oats quite a bit. I've seen them. You know, they plant oats uh, and then turn that in. Um, again, most of my beds I turn by hand. And so that's sort of my focus. If you have a if if you have a plower, you can till it um, with a tiller. Well, then sure, the the ryegrass is great. You know that's uh, well, it builds up humus. It does. It it miles and miles of roots. That's the thing that about ryegrass that's so great is it really puts a lot of uh, humus in the. Now the other thing that I've never tried, of course, is the is the the field radish. It's basically just a daikon radish, and they say that's particularly good for heavy soils because it does help to penetrate the um, the heavier soils and 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 leave a lot of uh, uh, matter you know down in the soil when you turn it. So it aerates it. Yeah, aerates it and and uh and gives you a lot of uh most of our soils are um, are kind of a sandy loom. So yeah. Yeah. You really need to build some humus into it. Yeah. Uh, for well, water. try you know for sure the rye would be a, a good choice and and you might try some of the uh, the radish just to see how that works for you because that the those things you know they'll be an inch and a half around anyway and sometimes uh, you know a foot long. So that that leaves a, a really puts a lot of uh, of uh, material organic material in the soil. Okay, and they're all attainable. Oh gosh, yeah, uh, Agway has them in the big bins. I've seen them, and uh, the other one, of course, is the field peas, and that's a legume, so it does help with the the nitrogen. Uh, and, uh, well, and a lot of people will use a combination of oats and peas because the oats sort of provides a, a place for the, the peas to grow up. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, what is, what's the variety of uh, blueberry that you still have that's producing? Um, I use uh, specifically uh, um, Jersey. Oh, yeah. It's a very old variety, but it's late, and what I have is a killer frost uh, into the late spring. So if I go with any earlier variety, um, I wind up losing uh, my uh, blossoms. Oh, oh, I see. But they're a, they're a great berry. They've been around for a long time. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. So they're pretty clean as far as any virus goes. Uh-huh. And good producer. Uh, they grow seven feet in the air. Holy Christmas. That's Some of a big... mine are seven feet high. They're 35 years old. 
Good Lord. So they have longevity, a blueberry plant. So uh, so do you uh, do the pruning now, or do you do it in the spring? No, I do it uh, like in March. Oh, okay, in the spring, and, just uh, like a fruit You tree. have to do it because of the uh, Asian fruit fly. Uh-huh. Um, you have to take all the suckers and the mid-material mid that never produces anyway out uh-huh. because they love a dark area, and that's how they function. Oh, so if you prune heavily in the center of the bush and keep it open, uh-huh. uh, they just don't have a, a, a playground. They don't have the hiding spot there. And it wasn't bad this year. Last year I didn't I prune as much out of the center as a lot of suckers that I should have. Uh-huh. And I got hit pretty hard by them. Hard lesson. This, this year was great. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Plus, it was warm, and I think that raised tech with them, too. You know, I, I sort of wondered as I saw that both the humidity and this rain and then the heat is if anybody's having a problem with the late blight. And so far, I haven't heard a word of late blight around. But when you get those hot, humid days, it makes me think about late blight. Yeah. I haven't uh, heard anything, though. That would be on your uh, uh, your, your leaf matter. You yeah. see that first. Yep. Right. Now, I keep my pruners right with me all the time anyway, mm-hmm. and any any uh, part of the plant that looks a little shady, I take it right out of there. Oh, that's good to know. I'm going to have so to take it. It doesn't a... drip, you know, through rain and, and spread. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to okay. have to take another look at my uh, another look at my blueberries and make sure that they're thinned out. <laughs> right. I've got... Um, well, actually, I planted also a, a section with 24 different varieties. And uh, I work with an Amish fellow out in New York State who's uh, brilliant in horticulture. Mm-hmm. He didn't have some answers to some of the newer varieties, so we kind of did it as a project. And I've got a whole experimental station. Oh, I mean, uh, planting going on yet. But it takes, you know, anywhere five to seven years before you get a blueberry. Yeah, right. Of any any magnitude. Yeah, this this is uh, this is for the long haul, definitely. Right. So I'll be able to see what those varieties were and how mm-hmm. they produce and taste and quantity mm-hmm. and everything future wise. <laughs> Neat. Well, Here's for your heirs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. I've heard that before. I know. I know. Yeah. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank. Thank you, Forbes. And uh, let's go to Rich in Starksboro. Hey, right. Rich. How you doing? Pretty good. You? Oh, good. What's going on good. in Starksboro? Well, um, I'm calling to ask you some questions about my kale, which I've asked about it before, and those green worms. Oh yeah. The, yeah. Uh, cabbage worms. Yep. Um, yep. Put it, they're in a they're in a bed that's never had kale in it before. Yeah, and you know it's never had anything that we, that the cabbage room no uh, chard oh, either. Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, we started them indoors, uh-huh. and then we put them out in the bed. And as soon as we put them out in the bed, we we put a put a uh, agarbon over a frame that kind sure. of hoops up over the. Yep. Over the plants, and Agarbon's been on, stays on there day and night and everything. Yeah. But uh, what do you know? The cabbage worm showed up. Oh yeah, it um, will. Well, the the thing about the cabbage worm is, uh, as soon as you see those little white uh, moths flying around your around your garden, it, I see them around, and they're pretty they're pretty smart. I oh, watch yeah. from where they're going to land. They'll oh, yeah. they'll fly off maybe 
you know, 100 feet away, and they still won't land. And yep. they get near me. They, they're pretty tricky how they fly. I, you know, I don't think a shotgun will work very good they, with them either. They, uh, they, they stagger around. They, they look like yeah. they're, they're half drunk, really, as, yep. they, as they fly around. But, but they're um, tricky enough so you can't womp them. Oh. You can't. No, it's true. <laughs> and But as soon as you see that, you really need to start spraying with either a BT or or the um, the spinaset, one or the other, and uh, so, ag- so where are they getting in though with the agrabon? Uh, I, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Uh, and I I did that one year with uh, one of my uh, uh, a bed of um, oh what were we growing in there it was uh, Chinese cabbage. And, uh, um, I opened up the, the bed, the, the, you know, the cloth, and, uh, it was just like a, watching the moths fly out. It was like a swarm of them. And how they got in there, I have no idea because, you know, I kept it pretty tight and I always thought that they were, but the, anyway, the result is that I lost all those cabbages. Um, so, uh, even though you have that on, once you start, you see them around, it's, it's good insurance. It doesn't take very long to go ahead and spray, particularly early on in the season so that you, yeah. you catch them early. We powdered them with this white stuff. I forgot what they call it. Yeah, the clay in was the past. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember all these names. Rotenone, maybe, or? Something like that, maybe. Yeah. Some kind of. Uh, I like the sprayer I myself. I I use the sprayer rather than the powder because it's easier liquid. to mix and it's easier to get on a a nice even spray. And plus, you can spray uh, the undersides of the leaves, and that's where that's where the hatch is on the underside of the leaves. Mm-hmm. And so, the, so your stuff's a liquid. liquid. Yeah, it's a liquid. Uh, Thergicide or or the spinosad, which is the uh, Captain Jack's. Uh, dead bug, and uh, also uh, some people. And and if you read the instructions for neem, they also will do the cabbage moth. So you have three different things you can use, and all of them are approved for organic gardening, and and uh, they wash off. So you know those are those are those are good insurance for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot I had that dinosaur kale, and I just happened to look at it, and it's it's eaten up pretty badly on on one of them, so I must have missed that one. But um, you know, it's it's pretty easy to do, and it's certainly good insurance. Uh huh. These are all organic things that you're mentioning. Oh yeah. Yeah, just mm-hmm. go right down to Agway or Blue Seal, Captain Jacks. Just tell them what you want to spray for, and they'll they'll show you the neem oil and the Captain Jacks and the Thergicide. And Thergicide is a uh, it's Bacillus thergososis or something like that, but they call it Thergicide. And, and that's it, uh, BT uh, is oh. the initials of it. It's the okay. I think I, can you have powder BT? Uh, you can, yeah. But I like I said, I, I prefer the spray myself, just because right. you can yeah. you can with the powder you can't really powder the underside, and that's where the eggs are is the underside. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to have that it on the leaf, so as soon as the the little worms come out, they eat that and die. So. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, how often you got to do it? Every week? Or? Well, it'll tell you, you know, what to do, um, and it is mm-hmm. usually every every seven days. It's certainly in the beginning when you first start seeing those moths, 
you know, which is usually in June, you'll see the moths come out. And if you spray it right in the beginning, then that breaks the cycle. And uh, then just wait till you see the moths again and then spray again. But um, according to the instructions, it's every every seven days um, mm-hmm. or so, you know. Okay. Yeah. Pretty about, easy to do. Uh, mm-hmm. About your fall planting, are peas still good to plant right now? Um, peas, I don't think you get a crop. I don't think you have quite enough time. But you can. You can, yeah, I mean, there's no reason shot, not to right? try because they'll grow, yeah. they'll take a light frost for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, trying a lot of stuff that didn't work, so might so try one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> no harm done, right? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, the, the Waldo, is it, it's the, uh, the, not Waldo, uh, what's the name of that? Anyway, it's a, it's a regular shelling pea. Um, seems to do really well in the in the uh, Wando. Fall. Wando, thank you. Yeah. It's not Waldo. <laughs> Where's Waldo? Wando. Where's Wando? <laughs> Wando yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, uh, the well, Wando seems to do well spinach. in the lake. Well, spinach, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, John from Hyde Park just asked me about spinach, and uh, my answer is absolutely yes. Plant now, plant, and keep planting right up until October till it frosts, and then you'll have a wonderful spinach in, in April. It'll be the first thing up. Now, for the ones that you don't want to come up, uh-huh. don't want to come up until spring, do you you put some straw over, or just leave it bare. No, as as long as you're planting them late, you just I just leave them bare. I mean, I, okay. I have done it with the straw, and you can do that. And I've also done it in a hoop house, and in the hoop house, I actually did uh, uh, radishes and uh, spinach, lettuces, and um, um, well, I guess that was it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, what was the other one? I think tatsoi was the other one. Some some sort of a. Um, uh, Asian green, and they came up just fine. They came up uh, in that green, in that little hoop house, and they did really well. And of course, I just used plastic uh, on my hoop house, so right over the, you know, I use a, a wire mesh right over the the two plastic hoops. So, mm-hmm. well, it, speaking it, of hoops, does, yeah. does water go in through Agrabon? Yep. Like if you're yeah. if you're away from but home you, and it, yeah, you, you know it rained and yeah. can you assume that your your say your uh, kale got watered well enough? Um, you can su- assume that it that it got some water, but it's you know as far as getting an inch of rain, I doubt that that any kind of a rain is going to give you an inch of rain through that stuff. So, okay. so you, uh, you do need to you want to water before you leave and, you know? and then water when you come back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it gets maybe half the rain that comes probably down half, in a quarter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay. And and you know, for a lot of the rains that we get, uh particularly in the summer, you know, a lot of times they're just uh you know, big drops and they last for five, ten minutes and and most of it evaporates. Uh, mm-hmm. and and so you can't really rely on those those rains. Um mm-hmm. with this rain that we had just recently, now today and, and last night, uh that's probably a pretty good rain. I think Roger said it was going to be like three quarters of an inch, so that, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So you, you've talked about uh, sort of doing a, uh, I don't know, lack of a better word, soil amendment or major soil amendment uh-huh. at the end of the season, the fall, like putting on a cup of lime and a uh-huh. cup of hazemite and, yeah, yeah. and, and stirring it all in. Yeah. 
Can you can you still do that before you plant your final spinach planting? Sure, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing in okay. there to, you know, it's it's nothing in there that would burn it at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but you wouldn't put any com- Would you put some compost in too, or just the, uh, the nutrient thingies? Uh, compost is one of those things. If you have it, put it in. You know, it's better. It's better on your garden bed than in the compost bin. But yeah. if it still needs time, then leave it in the compost bin and do it in the spring. You know, I, you like to have it fairly well broken down, and and usually, depending on when you start your bins, you know, usually it needs the 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 winter to really break down good. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You, you talked about your carrots doing well. I yeah. got carrots. They Boy, they sure didn't want to start and make me feel good they were going to thrive. But they doing seem to be doing pretty well. Oh, and on that particular bed, instead of stirring in compost into the soil yeah. before I did plant it, I just put a, a thin, you know, half-inch layer all over the whole top of just sure. straight compost. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to be work. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. That's absolutely. Do if I did well, think about it. Every time it rains. Yeah, no, every time it rains is sort of like uh, compost tea, you know. It wets it and dribbles down in, and it's great. You know, compost is a, is a great uh, mulch. No, no mm-hmm. two ways about it. So but don't need to stir it in then. You don't necessarily. No. No. Okay. Now, speaking of compost tea, yeah. Um, I, I like we talked about. I asked yep. if it was okay to water always with compost tea, and yeah. I do now. Yeah. Or it was then too, and um, it, but sometimes I. Um, like with this rain, I have my five-gallon buckets brewing out there. Um, can they can they brew for uh, a couple of weeks and not have any uh, oh, adverse organisms develop no, inside no, no, the pail, not. or should I? Nope, it'll should... it'll smell more and more like manure every time you get near it. Okay. Matter of fact, um, I actually make a, a compost tea out of comfrey. We chop it up and put it in a bucket. And uh, that smells just like manure too, and it's. Uh, they say it's very good for calcium and you know that that kind of stuff. So, okay, well, I didn't know I was going to have so many questions, but thank you for addressing <laughs> Rich, them all. Rich, you're always <laughs> welcome to ask as many questions you want. <laughs> I have no guarantee on the answers, but <laughs> well, the questions are we always all, welcome, and maybe we somebody else will have an answer. There's, there's there's thousands of people out there that, that never call in, and I know they really appreciate your show. So. Well, that's good to hear. I yeah. um, obviously I enjoy doing it. Joel and I have us right. have a good time. Okay. Well, you thank you, Rich. Folks, have a good weekend. Yeah, you yeah. have a good one. You too. Now, Joel, you said something about a mushroom something. Oh, okay. But oh. we have we have another call. Oh, okay. Actually, right. we'll we'll play it as our final. As our final um, item, I had forgotten okay. all about that. Oh, yeah, right. we're going to talk about mushrooms with our own uh, <laughs> uh, John Wilson. But first, it's Jim in Waitsfield. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, you bet. Just Good. great. So, uh, so a couple of questions. I, I I shrunk my garden this year, and I put my I put my garlic and my onions outside the fence because deer don't don't bother them, and yep. they didn't. I got great crops. Yeah. So my question is: so garlic, you can have so for next year. Uh huh. I've already got my garlic ordered. I'm mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. But um, so can I? Pl- yeah, you can put it in the same place, right? Uh, you can. You can. Um, the the 
the problem that you know, the, and the reason that you always move it is just simply to try to avoid diseases. Right. And if you've had no problem with the disease, then you're probably okay. Um, you know, uh, if you're monocropping and you're doing large beds of things, then the moving stuff around is more important. Um, but none of us have fields and fields of garlic. Right, right, right. So uh, I wouldn't hesitate. If you like the spot and you think okay. it's working well. Same with onions? The same with onions. Same yep. with onions, too? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if you're worried, uh, you can always uh, spray with the little copper spray because of the, the it's it's a fungicide that, that right. hits them. Right. And you can, you can do that as insurance if you're really worried about it or somebody in a field nearby has a problem or... Yeah, you no, know. I had, they were great. I, they, they had a great, two great crops. That's great, I huh? Yeah. What do you do with your garlic? Well, I just, I just, it, right now it is in, you know, those, those, uh, plastic, the plastic things you get from garden centers. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, the nets, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I made a little storage rack with those and I just put the garlic in that so that the air flows through it. The garlic and the onions. Yeah, so it's, there you go. The air flows through it. It's, it's, and right now it's, right now it is in a dr- very, a dry, a dry callway. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think when the heat comes on, I might want to move it to someplace. <laughs> Yeah. A little I think cooler. the dry is probably the most important part. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. That's uh, what I thought. Cool. The second thing, and this is yep. this is something that I was thinking about when I was watching the white moths. I use BT on my yeah. on everything. I, I spray with BT spray. I have yep. my hand sprayer. Yeah. But has have anybody ever had any experience putting up? Um, the paper fly trap, you know, the fly, the you can. fly traps? Yeah, you can, you can do that. Um, they are attracted to, uh, a yellow, you know, and, oh. and as much as, and you can buy, uh, just basically it's a yellow piece of plastic that they hang and they give you some of the, you know, sticky stuff on there, which yeah. you can make yeah. up yourself if you have a yellow yeah. piece of plastic, uh, and hang it around. The, the, the problem with that is that it just doesn't get all of them. Right, it really right. doesn't take much in the way of the moss, uh, and you see them. They're laying eggs all over the place. Oh, they flitter all over the place. And yeah, they're not yeah. just doing it on the, on the cabbages. They're doing it on the, on the grass and then on your flowers and then, you know, so there's, there's so many different cycles that, um, those fly traps just aren't enough. It's sort of like the fruit fly, you know, for the, the blueberries. Um, they put fly traps up, but it's only just to to recognize when you know when you're having the problem when right. it's when right. it's time to spray and so you know i think it's pretty much the same with those as you just want to you know it would be only just to recognize when is the time to spray but right. you already know that when you see them flying yeah, around it's time to spray. Around. i mean you're right yeah. they fly so erratically yep. you, if you had three or four of those things up they'd probably just <laughs> run into them by mistake <laughs> right <laughs> Unless you could figure out, you know, and then of course you'd have these yellow things all over, and you know what had happened? You'd be the one to get caught in. Right, right, right. You'd end up stuck to them. You go down to pick something in the garden, and your good shirt gets stuck to the yellow. There you go. You get the sticky square. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you. It's been a good season. All right, Jim. Thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for your call. Now, Peter, what we have is from our own reporter, John Wilson, part of our news effort. And John is usually out and about 
trying to find some local uh, information from the community. So mm-hmm. Vega has an absolute unique style. So I will read the prepared introduction, and then we'll hear from John. He goes, quote, They are popping up all over, but you won't see these hedgehogs' holes unless you pull up their roots. John Wilson has more from the forest floor. <laughs> for foragers in Vermont, the hobbyist and professional alike, the season is still robust. And for the mysophile or mysophagist, the terms used for mushroom hunters, Vermont's prized culinary favorite, the bloom of the golden yellow chanterelle is on the wane. And this star of July is transitioning to spore, dust on the wind, laying its seed for next season. But in its place, and often overlooked, growing just feet from that favorite prized chanterelle patch is one of the best mushrooms of all for the budding mysophagist. August Hedgehog, or the Sweet Tooth. A tasty shroom with a light garlic finish and mild zing, it's hardy in size and texture, with a white to tan brownish cap and a blush of orange and a nice dimple many compare to a plump baby's belly button. Bob of the Sage Farm is a familiar and friendly face at area farmer's markets, serving up maple soda, canned syrup, goat cheese, and seasonal foraged mushrooms. Sold um, a good amount to a man from Texas who was visiting the Waitsfield Farmer's Market, um, and never had heard that name of them before, had never, didn't recognize the mushroom, he was very well versed in mushrooms, wanted to know the, you know, real taxonomical name, which I couldn't provide him at the time, but he did end up buying them, brought them home, and I never knew what he thought of them, but he was interested to try a new mushroom. Some folks call it sweet tooth. I've heard it. You know, sweet tooth, hedgehog. And for the record, um, the term is the hydnum rapandum, the hedgehog or sweet tooth mushroom, a great addition to any mushroom hobbyist's lineup or even summer plate. Reporting from the forest floor, telling you that there still might be some out there because... Um, I didn't get to my spots this week, but I... I'm John Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> That's John. Hey, how about, boy, if somebody called me a mysophagist, I'd probably punch. That's them are fighting words. But, uh, no, I have a lot to learn about mushrooms. and I'm, um, yeah. but, but, unfortunately, I have some friends that are really knowledgeable. Oh, well, that's a oh, good thing. Yeah, we, yeah. we have them popping up in our front yard yeah. all the time because it's a, uh, there's quite a, a, a leaf cover in that, just in the front por- mm-hmm. part of the, of it. And it's a, um, you know, it's, it, it's just perfect. And we had one that was uh, probably the size of a cauliflower sitting Yikes. up there. And of course we look at them and think, well, I wonder if that's edible. And that's <laughs> as far as it gets because we never touch them. But, mm. um, they're right out there with our shiitake mushrooms and those when they sprout, we're happy to. Happy to harvest. Boy, they're wonderful. Yep. Well, okay, I guess the uh, final words now. We are way, <laughs> way past overtime, but we've been having fun. I was going to say uh, we must be having fun because time has flied by, <laughs> flown by. Anyway, uh, so well, we'll be back next week. Yeah. We will be back next week. And uh, I, I forgot to ask Lee when is our last show. It's usually sometime in September, but um, we still will be here for a few more weeks and uh, um, call in with your questions. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, make sure you tell our sponsors thanks for for um, uh, sponsoring us. And um, well, uh, call in with questions, and if anybody's growing melons out there, I'd really like to hear about it. Okay. That's the tough, that's, that's the, yeah, that, that's the supreme achievement with all the critters out I, there. I've seen them up at high mowing. They have, uh, you know, when they have their field days and, and gone out there for a taste testing and all of my oh. gosh, they're wonderful. 
Well, thank you, Peter. Our program brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street, Morrisville. These Flowers and Garden Shop, Main Street in Waitsfield. By Broughton's Big Country Hardware, your authorized Cub Cadet dealer in Bridport. By Clausen's Florist, Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, locally grown just for you, Main Street in Colchester. Your locally owned Montpelier Agway, boy, they've got everything there, right on East Montpelier Road. By Thomas Farm and Garden on the Barry Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton and Derby. Online at sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores, four of them, Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston and St. Albans. By PNR Lumber, a family-owned lumber mill, they have all the lumber, mulch, and compost you need. PNR Lumber on Route 15 in Walkett. And by the Willie Store in Greensboro, now celebrating over 120 years of family ownership. Join us again next week at 1230 in the noon hour for In the Garden with Peter Burke.